God bless you. Welcome. If you're a guest with us today, we're so thankful you're here worshiping with us. We welcome you today. God bless you. You may be seated. I pray that all of you had a wonderful and blessed Thanksgiving. Praise God. We were talking about this uh, at our during our Thanksgiving. Boy, it, it seems like I think it's more of the the um, uh, material culture that we live in, but. It seems like it's doing a good job to try to eradicate Thanksgiving. And I think part of that is because it's hard to make money on Thanksgiving. So, you know, you get through Halloween and now everybody dresses up, which is more money and candy and all that. And then you're trying to get into Christmas. But I really thoroughly enjoyed Thanksgiving. We had an opportunity. It was just my family, my wife and I, and my three children and we got the opportunity to eat with my parents and then my 90-year-old grandmother. Uh, she's recovering from hip, hip surgery. And uh, we got to sit and talk with her, and she was a very in a very chatty mood. She got to tell a lot of stories. And, and um, come to find out, this was interesting, that my, great, was my, grand, my grandmother's father, who she did not know, he left the family when he, she was four, but we were talking and she was telling a story. He was um, half uh, Choctaw. Uh, my grandmother's a quarter Choctaw, and, and my, my grandmother's grandfather was full Choctaw. And so, anyways, we come to find out that it, it looks like through some history and mythology telling stories that my great-grandfather was the first person ever baptized in Jesus' name in the state of Mississippi. And some of you will know this name, some of you won't, but he was baptized by Andrew Urshan. Did not know that. So that's pretty, a pretty, it was a pretty interesting story as we told that. Um, I woke up this morning, my wife and I were laying there for a moment trying to the cobwebs lift. We took our kids Friday and evening to New York City, and then we spent yesterday in the city and drove back and then sat and prayed through the Bay Bridge traffic <laughs> for great patience. And so somehow we got home last night, and I was, I, I, we got home at 8.30 by the time we settled down, and I was, I was wiped out. So we woke up this morning, and Six or six thirty, whenever it was, and it was slow going. And she, she was kind of looked over to me. She goes, "Do you have any idea what? You have any idea what you're preaching today?" I said, "Nope." I said, "But I really feel confident the Lord has it." And I walked in here today, and I know I'm, I'm purposely trying to be subdued because I don't want this to be any. I don't. I don't want to make this emotional. There's something in this room today. And I said it just a few minutes ago, if you, if you go get surgery, you don't want a doctor that's hyper. And there's a, there's a soberness in this room. I want to read quite a bit of scripture for a moment here. I don't have a stitch of notes, so we're going to let the Bible do a little bit of talking here today to start off with, and then we'll see what the Lord does. 
Psalms 139, there's portions of this Psalms that I'm sure will sound familiar to you. But just for the contextual part of it, I want to read all of it. It's uh, about 24 verses long, so just take a moment here. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understood, understand my thought far off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before. and You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? I don't know if you ask those questions if you haven't tried. I don't take this question that David's asking as a question of ponderment. I think I'm seeing, to me, I take, maybe you take it differently. I take these questions as somebody who tried. He said, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. And then this is a quite an interesting line. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. I don't believe that is a I don't believe that is a just a poetic line written for the contrast I believe that's a man that is looking back on his life and he's trying to express into words the ups and downs of his life. And he makes the statement, when I was in heaven, you were there. But when I was in hell, you were there. If I take my wings of the morning and dwell in the other most parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. If I say surely the darkness shall fall on me. Even the night shall be light about me. Indeed the darkness shall not hide from you. But night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. That my soul knows very well, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they're all written, the days fashioned for me. When I as yet, there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of all them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. Oh, that you should slay the wicked, O oh God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O oh Lord? You hate them. And I do not loathe those who rise up against you. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me. And know my anxieties. And see 
if there is any wicked thing in me. Lead me into everlasting life. There's a principle in biblical studies that the first statement on a matter and the last statement on the matter are extremely important. Not to say that what's in the middle is of any importance, but the first statement and the last statement are of great importance. There's a law in theology called the law of first mention. And the law of first mention says that to pay close attention to when a concept or something is first introduced in Scripture because by God being everlasting, the same yesterday, today, and forever, never changing, that if God establishes something, Brother Tino, that by His own doing, He cannot change that. That's why we can interpret the New Testament through the lens of the Old Testament. Church world today says, well, the Old Testament is of no good. It says, oh, of course it's no good. Well, Moses did not call his book the Old Testament. The word Old and New Testament is not originally in the Bible. They didn't call the Old. It's just the Word of God. We call it the Bible because the Bible is the, comes from the word Biblio, which is a collection of books. It's, it's not, they didn't call it the Bible. It was the Word of God. And the Word of God was not divided into old and new. I try to get into this today, but some need to know this because nowadays Christianity has decided, based off the translators, mostly the King James translators in 1611, who were trying to find a way to fit the Word of God into Anglican beliefs, decided to do some massaging. And we get the Old Testament, we get the New Testament, we get all these different things that took place. And because people really don't want to know what God says. They really want to fit God into what do they think. We really don't dig deep enough into the Word of God. We skip rocks on it, but we really don't dig deep on it. And so we get this idea that, well, it says old, and so therefore it's old. And we only stick in the new because it's new. But the problem is you can't understand the new without the old. If you, want, if you try to interpret the new without the word, the old, you get some squirrely interpretations. Because there's things in the, in, the, in the Old Testament that fall under the idea of the law first mentioned. The redemptive covenant of blood and water that we fellowship with in the New Testament through Calvary and being baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and having the blood of Jesus Christ wash over us and the infilling of His Spirit. That's not a new concept. That was established in the Old, old Covenant. It was established in the Old. So I said all that to say that... There's this idea in theology, but I believe if you look at characters in the Bible, you really can see that there is something about sort of the beginning of their life and sort of the end of their life, David being one. If we go back into the, 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 the beginning parts of David's life when he was that shepherd boy out in the field and he had this, this just absolutely uh, uh, just passionate desire for God. That when he was supposed to be tending his father's sheep, he spent most of his time uh, writing songs. And he had this sort of, this, this, this absolute passion for God. And we see this in his early life. And then we, we see the transition of his life when, when Samuel comes to his house and and, and anoints him as king. And not to get into all that story, if you've never read it, it's a great story, you should go back and read it. 
but most people have some idea of who David was. But he got anointed to be king at a young age. He was a shepherd boy. And, and like I'm sure every boy at that age, when you're told by the leading spiritual authority of your nation that you're going to be the king, I'm sure that like every boy, he had grand ideas of how that journey was going to take place. Well, you know, when am I going to get my crown? When am I going to? And, and, and so imagining his life was going to go this way, his life took a very rapid turn the other direction. And instead of running to the throne, he started running away from the throne. Got to the point it was so bad that he had ended up finding himself in a cave with a bunch of outlaws. I mean, he was hiding out with the worst of the worst. He wasn't in the, in the throne room sitting on the throne governing, he was running for his life. And we have all of these things. And then finally, when he, when he comes to this, uh, when he comes to these, uh, 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 when it comes to the throne, he, he, he's wrestling with his own self. We find this to be the case when, when he uh, finds himself in a situation of sin and, 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 and attempt to cover it up. We find all this stuff. And so as we get towards the later Psalms, the, the, the tone of this now older man begins to change. If you read through the book of Psalms, not every, not every psalm was written by David. Uh, it's attributed to David, but every psalm is written by David. There's other psalms in there that don't owe him as the author. But in that, we find that as David's sort of reflecting back, he had, this, he had a lot of times in his life where he, he, he yelled and screamed at God. Brother, brother Cassius, he, there were times where he was in such dark places and I think so much inner tor- turmoil that he actually, him and God went at it. Or more likely he went at it and God just listened. But now he's sort of at the end, I imagine, in his life and, and now his, to- his tone is beginning to change and his reflection on life is beginning to change and he makes the statement like, when I was in heaven... You were there and I was in hell. You were there. I tried to get away from you. I tried to run from your spirit. I tried to get away from your presence. And it didn't matter how I, where I went and how hard I ran. I could never run from you. I won't ask anybody to raise their hand today. But how many of you have purposely in your life attempted to try to block God out? Thank you for Brother Jolin. You've purposely tried to turn it off, shut the door, lock it. But you know what's funny is you lock the door and shut it. And when you realize you lock God in with you. And instead of now being alone, you're just alone facing him. And, and when you try to get out and run, wherever you run, he's already there when you get there. And, and you can't escape it. And, and then... You have a choice, either finally give up and surrender, or now the other choice is to completely turn yourself over and shut your mind off and run from the stuff inside of you. And so it seemed like in some ways David kind of tried this in his own way. He he tried to escape this sort of, to use a modern terminology, I guess you could call it, this sort of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde existence. This sort of idea that he had wrestled with himself 
for so long and in wrestling with himself for so long, he was trying to deal with all of this and, and, and he had days where he dealt with it and days where he struggled with it. And, and in all of those struggles, his whole acknowledgement was God, even in the darkness, you were the darkness. He said, wait, wait a minute, I thought God's light. No. David said, even in the darkness, you were the dark and the light. No matter where I was, no matter what I was doing, you were there. And he started going through all this. We were driving back yesterday and we were sort of on the New Jersey turnpike headed south. And so my wife was the car DJ at the time. And she was, my kids get very impatient if there are not songs playing. And so she was trying to keep music going and she was searching and, you know, you can only hear Jingle Bell so many times, folks. <laughs> White Christmas, all that stuff. So we were just like, we were starting to, and so we, somehow she had gotten on this, she had gone, she was going deep into the recesses of trying to find some holiday music, and it was starting, and I don't know how we even got on the subject. We started, we were talking about different artists or something. I don't remember how, because maybe she can recall it. I don't really know much about him. I don't know his music that well. Some of you may be a fan or may not. That's, I'm not really, it's your preference. But if I said the name Johnny Cash to you, most of you would know who Johnny Cash is. Or have heard of Johnny Cash. I don't really know much about Johnny Cash. I don't really know his music. I know a few of the songs from the title, but I couldn't sing them to you today, so don't don't count on that today. We got to talking about it, and there are two songs. I don't really know much of his music, but there are two songs that I heard, and I, I played them. I said, you got to hear these songs. And we were talking about sort of this idea and uh, you know this this sort of the dark side of some of what people that we idolize what they go through and what they deal with and so I said you had to hear these two songs there was two songs that Johnny Cash recorded I believe one was near the time of his death and then one came out later several years after his death I don't know how they did that I don't know if it's pre-recorded but there were two songs and one was called Hurt And the other one was called, God is going to cut you down. Come to find out, Johnny Cash was born. Some of you may know this. Some of you may have, he might be on your wall at home. I have no idea. So I might be telling you something you already know. I did realize I was wearing all black today. So maybe I was prophetic. I didn't realize this. I'm the man in black today. He grew up in a Pentecostal church in Arkansas. His mom was a um, attended a Pentecostal church in Arkansas when he was younger. He attended. I believe, I don't know how old he was, but his brother, at 15 years old, his father was gone out of, I don't know what, I don't know the whole story, but wasn't his brother in, in training to become a minister? His brother Jack was in training to become a minister, and, and he was a little older than Johnny. And um, 
the story says that at the time they woke up in the morning and they all, his mom and Jack and Johnny, who at the time he was called J.R., his, his mom wanted them to be called John. His dad wanted them to be called Ray or Roy, so they just named him J.R. as a compromise. And so they got up that morning, and they all had this premonition that something was going to happen, and his mom supposedly told Jack, why don't you and Johnny go fishing? But Jack wanted to go to work that day, and he was in training to become a, a minister, and, and um, he had to go to work that day. He worked at a mill. And there was a giant saw there. And I don't know the story, how it happened, what he was doing. But somehow he got sucked into that saw. Almost cut him in half. He survived long enough to die, I believe, later that week, a couple days later. Had a, apparently had a massive effect on Johnny Cash. I don't know much about his life. Again, maybe some of you do. He's a little before my time. But he, he, this guy had a darkness inside of him. Drug abuse, alcohol abuse. He said he didn't own a car that hadn't been wrecked. He got hooked on drugs. Um, I think it was in the 50s, 60s. He got hooked on um, drugs to help him stay awake and uh, energy when he was traveling on the road from town to town on buses and trains doing all these gigs and he ended up getting arrested when he was for smuggling drugs from Mexico. It was just, he was, it was a bizarre life. Dark, dark, dark life. Somewhere in that, I don't know, apparently the story goes that somewhere in the early 70s he, he found his way back into a church in Nashville and he would come and he would sit on the back row and, and um, he would listen to the singing, and somewhere in that time of attending this church in Nashville, he began to sort of do some repenting. Later on, I think he became pretty good friends with Billy Graham. I don't know, again, where he was when he died. I don't know if his whole spiritual situation, it's not mine to say. God is ultimately the one. But he wrote these two songs. I don't know if he wrote them, but he, he recorded them. I believe, I know the first one he did not write. But he wrote, he recorded these two songs at the end of his life. One before his death and the other one came out. And it was called Hurt. And the other one was called God's Gonna Cut You Down. And I want you just a second to listen to the lyrics. I'm not, you don't, I'm probably, I'm not suggesting you go home and download them and listen to them today. I'll just read them for you. The first one's called Hurt. He said this, I hurt myself today. To see if I still feel. I focus on the pain. The only thing that's real. The needle tears a hole. The old familiar sting. Try to kill it away. But I remember everything. What have I become? My sweetest friend. Everyone I know. Goes away in the end. If you could. And you could have it all. My empire of dirt, I will let you know, I will make you hurt. I wear this crown of thorns upon my liar's chair, full of broken thoughts that I cannot repair. 
Beneath the stains of time, the feelings despair. You are someone else, and I'm still right here. What have I become? My sweetest friend, everyone I know, goes away in the end. A few years later, the song came out that he sang that said, God's going to cut you down. He said this, you can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. So go tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rier. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell them that God's going to cut them down. Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news. My head's been wet with the midnight dew. I've been down on bended knee talking to the man from Galilee. He spoke to me with a voice so sweet. I thought I heard the shuffle of angels' feet. He called my name and my heart stood still when he said, John, go do my will. Story says that in his darkest times, there would be a voice that would come to him and say this. John, I'm still your God. I'm still here, and I'm still waiting, and I still love you. There's a guy who is later on in his life, looking back on his life, trying to put to pieces all of the stuff that he had dealt with. Paul puts it in a better way than Johnny Cash does. 1 Corinthians, I want to read one short passage and then I'm going to read another. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required as stewards that one be found faithful. That with me it is very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself. Yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. I find this to be unique. I don't know if I didn't. The Lord just put all this in my spirit this morning on purpose because I had no time to study all of it. So I found this to be interesting. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul talks about hidden things. And 2 Corinthians 4, Paul talks about hidden things. And I want to read this for just a moment. I want you to listen. I know reading sometimes you zone out, but I'm not reading my words. This is the Word of God. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, we have received mercy. We do not lose heart but we have renounced the hidden things of shame. Not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bond service for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light 
to shine. Now get this. I don't know what all this meant, but I read this this morning and it just hit me. What does it say? Let's read it together in case you don't know. I'm making this up. You, you, let's follow along. For it is God who commanded light to shine not into darkness. I saw that this morning, Brother Jetty, and it absolutely hit me. I always think that light shines in the darkness, but Paul says there are times when light shines out of darkness. Not into darkness, but light shines out of darkness, which means there are some revelations you can't get in the light. There are some things you can't discover in light that the only place you can discover some things is in darkness. Because he said, I see light, not light shining into darkness, that this light comes out of the darkness. We spend so much, I, I'm, I'm going to talk in first person today. I'm not going to presume anything today. I'm going to talk in first person today, not to make it about me, but it's safer. Spend so much of my time trying to avoid darkness. But there's some things that are only revealed in darkness. I, I spend so much time, I have spent so much time running from something that I forgot what I was running to. We all, we all in this room today, every person in this room today, there are parts about you that you don't like. There are parts about me that I don't like. There are things about me that I hate. And I spend so much time trying to run from those things that in tempting to run from those things, I'm not really running from anything because you really can't run from something. You have to run to something. You can attempt to run from something, but you know what's funny is it doesn't matter how far you run from something, it always seems to catch you. It's not until you start running to something. And, and can I just stop for a moment? And I was sitting just a few minutes before we were gathering and I was walking back and forth and, and, and I realized something is that we, we, we have to be careful, very careful. And I'm just going to take about a two-minute teaching note here on a side note and then we'll go back into this today. But we have to be careful because we all have this desire in this room, or a lot of us in this room, we've been on this journey now for a couple of years and we, we have this desire and we have this sort of goal in mind to be a disciple, Jesus Christ. But I realized something today, that we can work so hard to become a disciple, but when you become that disciple, do you think the work's over? Right? I'm not going to wake up one day and go, yes, I'm a disciple. You don't have to do anything else today. It's over with. Because if you are running to become something you think this is going to be it, when you get there, you'll quit. So you can't run to what you want to be. you got to fall in love with the process of what he's making you to be. 
Because here's the problem. When I'm trying to run to something that I think that I want to be, I always feel like I'm short because I get this image that I'm supposed to be this. And therefore, I walk around not feeling victorious. I walk around feeling like a failure. I walk around feeling like I'm always coming up short. I always feel like I can't do it good enough. Can't do that. And the whole time, I'm missing the fact that I'm in His process. Because this morning, if you woke up and I just sprinkled magic disciple dust over you, and suddenly, woom, you've just became the great disciple that you desired to be, do you think when you wake up in the morning, that is going to just be it? That you're going to just maintain that forever? Because the Bible says if you're either for me or against me, there's no neutral ground. So the fact of the matter is, if you think you're going to just, I'm going to read, I'm going to study, I'm going to pray until I become what God's called me to be, that's why I have to be honest with you. I don't know if you ever truly become, in our terminology, what we think God's called you to be. I'm, I'm coming to the realization. I've chased that rabbit trail for 39 and a half years. I think I'm coming to the end and realize, wait a minute, that's a myth. Because I come to, I, I've really counseled very few people that really believe I'm, 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 I'm who God called me to be. I know a lot of people said that, but that's not really the truth. Because it seems like every time, Brother Jolin, I arrive to where I think God wants me to be, He moves the finish line a little farther down. And I'm like, you know, when, when I was 18, I thought the finish line was here, and, 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 and I get to it, and I'm like, yes, and God's, wait a minute, let's move it five more feet. And then I get to that and he moves it five more feet and get to that and moves it five more feet and get to that and moves it five more feet and get to that and moves it five more feet. And after a while I think, am I ever going to get there? And God says, no. Because the moment you get to that finish line, your race is finished. So the only finish line that we're looking for is either him to take us out of here or you to breathe your last breath. That's the only finish line. So if you're here, you're not going to reach the finish line. So we've got to get this idea out of our mind that we're striving to be. We've got to be what God's called. And I understand the context of that, that all that. But you know what? I've got to get my ministry. I've got to get my call. And you know what the problem with that is? Is that we keep chasing this mythical ideology. And because we chase the things that we think we should be, we miss the process of what God is trying to do where we are. So many of us have hidden things. I know, I I get it. I'm telling you right now, I'm just going to be totally transparent with you. There are voices screaming in my head. This is the wrong Sunday. You can't do this. I'm just going to obey Jesus. If you're a guest today and you thought, what in the world did I come to hear? I don't apologize for just doing what I feel God told me to do. If you come here every week, you're going to find one thing. We strive every week to do what God tells us to do. Sometimes from a human perspective, you kind of go, huh? Every, I say everyone, that's a too big of a statement. There's some people in this room today that God wants to reveal some hidden things in you. 
not expose them. Let me, let's, let's, let's back up here because I just felt the sheer panic go through the room. Not expose them. Reveal them. It's a difference. Exposing them is for your benefit. Revealing is, uh, exposing them is for everybody's benefit. Revealing is for your benefit. He's not trying to expose you. He's trying to reveal. Two different things. God's not a, God's not a tattletale. He's a revealer. The Bible talks about that, that he, he, the, 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 the revealing of man's inner thoughts and minds. You would be shocked. Would be shocked at some of the inner fights of people in this room. You would be floored by some of the mental battles of people in this room. Now, I'm not a psychologist. We have one right here. He can help us out here with that. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not able to. I can't tell you how that works from a scientific. I just know it from a spiritual concept. Spiritually, there are so many people in this room, you've got things that you're fighting against inside. And the only way that you survive is those things become hidden things. They're there. We just pretend and suppress them to the point where we think, you know, that old idea, out of sight, out of mind. Oh, man. I didn't realize it's going to happen this fast. I lived like that for a long time. I, uh, I lived like that for a long time. And it got to the point where I got really good at suppressing certain pain and hurt to the point I had forgotten it was there. I would sit where you're sitting, heard the best of the best people used by God. And I would sit there with sincerity hear the voice of God, but I'd gotten so convinced and so I'd come to the, to the point where I didn't even realize there was stuff left in there. We're living at my parents' right now. We sold our house. We're living at my parents' house right now. And uh, I told my wife, you know, if you're going to do surgery on someone, you put them in a sterile environment. Living in the bishop, with the bishop in his house, is sort of like a spiritually sterile environment. 
his house is sort of like a spiritual fortress. I, I don't mean that because he's somehow some holy man. It's just I've been at that he walks with Jesus. So we're living there. There's some things that started to come unravel inside of me. Those things that started to come unraveled inside of me were hurting those closest to me. And in that, I started having, coming to this realization of facing myself. So we were sitting, we were sitting, talking with the bishop. He was trying to help. And he said, what happened to you when you were a child? I don't know. I have no idea. So what happened to you when you're a child? I have no idea. He said, no, there's something happened to you. Immediately when he said that, a movie played in my head. Something happened when I was about five years old. I was probably five, close to six. I did not realize it at the time. I had spent years living with it and didn't really realize what I was living with. But I was about, uh, when, I, when I was, whatever that was, five, six, there was a family, I'd say a family friend, there was a friend. She was a little older than I was. That I didn't realize at the time. But she molested me. That's the first time I've ever said those words publicly. That's fun. Now, my dad's told a story. He told a story for years. But I was like, not me. It wasn't me. I hadn't even equated that. Didn't even equate that. The way it happened, the circumstances by which it took place... I didn't even put two and two together. I didn't even, wasn't even like, no, that wasn't. And I remember I had this memory that just flooded me for years. And I got to the point where I was able to manage it and sort of after eventually kind of went away. You know? Can't be that big of a deal. It went away. I didn't realize it didn't go away. It just had gotten really good at suppressing it. And then when, you know, I've been to every stinking shame seminar known to man. My father's the shame guru. I didn't even think to put it, and never, and, and never put it, and none of that ever equated. And I'm sitting there all of a sudden in that, in that room, and my wife is sitting there, and, my, and, and the bishop's sitting there, and all of a sudden, it literally like a, a movie started playing in my head. I could describe everything. Now, I don't know how your memory is from when you are five. There's very few things I remember when I was five that I could tell you. I could draw you a picture of that entire scene. Literally could draw you a picture of the entire scene. Everything that took place that, in that moment, and, and 
I told my wife it was only it's probably only a few minutes of only a few minutes of time, but I can remember every single piece of information of that entire deal played in my head. Fresh. I hadn't thought of it in years. But you know, I, I felt for years, it's sort of these things where you just think, well, this is just sort of how you're going to deal with it, right? And God is so merciful, and God is so kind, and He is, He's such a gentle, gentle Savior. So much for a nice holiday message. This may not tickle your ear, but it can change your life if you let Jesus talk to you today. And and I and and, and so uh, I, for years I told my wife I felt like a a a, a bathtub. You f- that it it no matter how much water you poured in you couldn't re- get it to fill up because it seemed like there would be something you know missing in the bottom. I didn't know what it was, and so I learned how to. You learn how to live with things. You just learn how to operate and function. And you know what's amazing? You don't even work, you don't even realize you're functioning at eighty or seventy or sixty percent because you realize and you forget what it was like to function at a hundred percent. Or maybe because you were a child, you never got a chance to know what it was like to fully function. I didn't realize this. I, I my my. my my family really doesn't have any eyesight issues uh, to know of, but my, my, my wife, she's lived with glasses most of her life, and so she knows, and so I was having problems with my eye. It was burning, like it would just burn at night and itch, and it got that itch right like in the eyeball itch where you just want to peel your eye open and scratch it, that kind of itch. And she said, you need to go see the eye doctor. And So I went and saw the eye doctor, and, and you know, I've always prided myself. I've got, you know, 2010 or 2015 vision. I'm, I've got good vision, Cash. I can see anything. And so uh, I, uh, they put me, she's like, when's the last time you eye test? I'm like, I don't need an eye test. I'm good. With eye test, I'm good. She said, well, let's just check your eye. And so I put my, she, she covered up in my right eye, and I'm like, you know, the first line, the A, G, 1, second, 4. I'm like, I've just gotten this. She get to the third line. I'm like, is that the at symbol? It's like, are we doing emojis now? An eye exam? Look like a, looks like a, a monkey. Or a, are there emojis now? And she, you know, when, they, when you start failing the eye test, they're like, mm-hmm, okay, all right. I'm like, and all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute. I can't see out of my right eye. And I didn't realize all these, for I don't know how long it's been, but I realized, man, the world started going fuzzy, and I didn't even realize it. And so now we're walking around New York City with my wife, my kids, and I kept closing my eyes saying, can you read that? What does that line say? I can read it like this, but I can't read it like that. And so I'm walking around New York. I probably look like a, just like, what is wrong with that guy? He must be a tourist. I'm going like this. What does that sign say? I can see it with my left eye. can't see it with my right eye. And I'm realizing, man, all of a sudden, my good eye has been working to compensate for my other eye, but I didn't know it. I didn't know it until I was forced to look at something and realize what was used to be clear now is unclear. I didn't realize that there's blurriness in my eye until now where something is supposed to be clear, but now I can't see it. 
How many of you in this room now, your relationship with God used to be so clear, or your, 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 your future with God, or who God was was so clear, but now who God is has become murky or cloudy, or your future in God, or your calling in God has become murky and cloudy, but you don't even realize it because you just now don't. You just think, well, that's just the way it is. Some people get this revelation, right? They just like, they've been set free. Now I see God. You know, I see multiple things with God. You don't see multiple. You're just so blurry. What used to be one has now phased into two. It's still one, but your eyesight's made into double vision because your eyes have stopped working. Why? Because there's something wrong. It's not a revelation. You haven't suddenly woken up this morning and gone, I see it now. It's all clear. Woe be it unto the person that calls the blurry clear. Woe be it unto the person who looks at something that's blurry and thinks it's clear. Have you seen that? I was, my wife showed me, I think this is, this is a while back, she showed me on Facebook. There was a video of it. I don't know how it works. I think it's an amazing technology. But you can give a colorblind person glasses that they can see color. And there was this, this, this video of this older guy. He was, you know, typical. Looked like he, and I don't mean this to be negative, but he like drove a pickup truck with a tool belt stat. I mean, that kind of guy. A man's man. Not this kind of guy. A man's man. I mean, I'm not really that kind of man's man. This guy was burly. He was rough. He just, I mean, he ate, he, I mean, he, he ate bark for breakfast. And I mean, like that kind of guy, beef jerky for lunch. And I mean, it was that kind of man's man. I mean, the guy probably, I mean, I'd cry. This guy doesn't cry. And he, I mean, and his, so his wife and kids, they were older and they gave him this gift. And he, you know, he just seemed like that kind of guy, a, a woodsman. I mean, the guy bathing, that's optional. Who needs to bathe? This is a man's world. I'm that kind of guy. Oh. That kind of guy. I mean, this, this is the kind of guy. I want you to get that picture. This guy. And, and so his kids, for a gift, gave him this box. And he opens it up and he looks at it. And he says, glasses. And they said, Dad, put them on. And he put them on. And this guy turned into like a little kid. He started just weeping and he had so much inner joy. Like he looked like a, like a six-year-old at Christmas. I guarantee you that guy had... And come to find out he was colorblind. And they'd give him in these glasses. And so he got to see color for the first time. He looked up and looked at the trees and they were green and the sky was blue. And the colors of the flowers. He looked at his wife and for the first... And he was weeping and he was so giddy. Because he finally saw what he'd been seeing all these years wasn't really the truth. It was just how he could see it. But it wasn't until his eyes were open and he could really see it that made him realize, wait a minute, things aren't quite the way they seem. I'm telling you in this room, I don't know who you are and I wish someone would hear me in the Holy Ghost and not just hear this is not, I'm not laying on the confessional couch here today pouring out my heart. I'm really trying to obey God because there's somebody in here today that you have come to the realization and the grips that it's just broken and that's just the way it is and I'm trying to tell you today that it's not that way. You've come to see the world is gray. You've come to see the world is just black and white. 
away and you don't even realize or you've forgotten the fact that there's color in the world, but you can't see it. Because there's something in you. There's some hidden things in you that have been left in there. Or they're in there and you've never really been able to face them. And so because of those things, they have slowly eaten away like a like a tree that's dying. You know what's really scary? You ever seen a tree that's dead? You don't even know it's dead until it's well into its death. Trees don't die from the outside in. Trees die from the inside out. You don't die from the outside in. You die from the inside out. That's why you can see people walking around with a smile on their face as if everything's okay. And then the next minute, their world falls apart and we go, what happened? How did it happen? It wasn't an overnight erosion. They had been dying in here for years. But we are so good. We are good. Professional. Being able to show the limbs on the tree is healthy. To show life. To smile. To be able to say the right words. How you doing? I'm doing great. How's life? Oh, amazing. Not that we're purposely being deceitful. I'm not saying that we're, we're lying and being deceitful on purpose, but that's how we've become conditioned to live. But knowing that inside, their whole time, there's something that's eating away. And now all of a sudden, what used to be clear is blurry and what used to have color is black and white. And then we just start to function as if that's the case. And then somebody stands behind a pulpit, a man or a woman stands behind a pulpit and said, God wants to show you color. And you go, well, I see. Because you don't realize what you see is not what God wants to show you. That's just what you become accustomed to seeing. That you're not really seeing truth as it should be. You're just seeing your version of truth. And because of that, it takes God to come in here and to shape you and rip you apart. And you're thinking, what are you doing to me, God? Because the deeper something's buried, the more tragic it takes to pull it out. Well, I feel the Holy Ghost and it's getting, it's, there's a spirit moving in here trying to thwart this. It's, it's getting antsy because the problem is when you start pinning someone down, you come to a realization, you've got to look at this and go, okay, God, I need you to help me. Fish don't fight until they get on the hook. Feel that in there? Just all of a sudden, you just stepped in about 30 seconds ago. We got fish on the line, and boy, they're starting to flop. And, and old Jesus is sitting up there with his fishing hat on, just reeling it in. And boy, all of a sudden, fish on the line, fish on the line, fish on the line. You can swim. You can break the hook if you want to. But if you would... Actually, Sister Rice said it today. She didn't even realize she was saying. She was exhorting while we were worshiping, and she said, We surrender, Jesus. We surrender, you got two choices today. You can fall on the rock or you can have a rock fall on you. One of the choices, there's going to be a rock. I 
Oh man, I can, I can tell you, I'm not trying to just make, make this up or dramatic. This is not a dramatic presentation. I can hear some of you are fighting with everything in you to dismiss this. Mm. That's okay. That's all right. You can, you can just fight it. You can go on with it. And you can just live your life and pretend that this day never happened. That's between you and the good Lord. But somebody in this room today, you are desperate. And you, no one even knows how desperate you are. But you and Jesus knows how desperate you are. And that's who the Holy Ghost is talking to. Because you're about to have a life-changing experience in this room today. Well, I mean that. I feel that in the Holy Ghost. Hmm. And the rest of you that decide, you know what, that's not for me. God bless you. Thank you for coming. And we'll try it again next week. But there's somebody in this room today. The Holy Ghost has stopped all this and brought you to this point because he's trying to say, hey, I know what's going on. And if you'd let me, the Bible says he stands at the door and he knocks. He doesn't beat the door down. And if he's standing at the door knocking, what does that mean? The door is shut. What does that mean? That means it's your choice and my choice to open the door. He doesn't open the door. I wish, I wish for 34 years of existence, he would have broken the door down, Brother Jolin. Forget it, God. You, you don't have to be knocking down. But he knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked. And you know what's amazing about God? Is He can stand on this side of the door and hear the cries of anguish and pain on that side of the door. But His love and compassion is constrained by your will. If a mother or father was in this room today and you were standing on one side of the door knocking and you heard the peril of your child on the other side of the door, there is no door in this world that could keep a mother or a father. You would do anything you can to knock that door down. But His love for you is so great that He constrains Himself to this side of the door because it's more important for you to open that door than it is for Him to knock it down. He's God. He died. He shed His blood. He suffered on the cross for you and I. But He loves you enough to stay on this side of the door Why He hears your life fall apart because He loves you enough not to knock it down. He needs you to say, Okay, God, I hear you knocking. Here it is. And the problem is, when you leave that door shut, you can put all kinds of stuff. You know what? We have three kids. We got three, we have three children, if you case. Three, not three kids as in goats, three children. We have three children. Now they're 12, 9, and 7. They're starting to mature a little bit in their mess making. But when they were little, Listen, as a parent, when you have seven, five, and a two-year-old, three-year-old, you survive day to day. And there were times where our house, let's be honest, if you know my wife at all, I just want to put it out there, you're not going to find a, a more neater person than Kate Elizabeth Wright. Her label maker has a label. 
organized, neat, straight. He drove her crazy. Because, you know, the kids are kids. One kid, two kids, three kids, you just give up. It was just, there are times they're just kids. Kids play with stuff, everything. And so, you know what? There'd be times where, you know, it was just, we were living life. We were just kids, letting them be kids. House wasn't, I mean, things were just, and then some, we'd get that call. Someone, hey, I need to come over. Say what? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to come over. I want to drop something off. Can I come in? You sure you don't want to just drop it at the door and leave it there? No, I'm going to come in. All of a sudden, bells, alarms, whistles, everything. Everybody, man your battle stations. Clean up! Because the problem was, when someone opened that door, everything that was inside was going to be revealed. As long as that door was shut, it didn't matter what the inside looked like because the outside only saw what we wanted them to see. They didn't see the bedroom with dolls and, 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 and babies and Barbies and, and blankets. And um, I mean, my daughter has more baby stuff for her baby than we did when we had real babies. And, and we have all this stuff and, 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 and Barbies and, and we have a whole Barbie parking lot and we've got a whole Barbie mall and, and 17 Barbies and, 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 and we've got them all and we've got, and, and my son, it's not good enough to have one Nerf gun. He's got like six Nerf guns and enough bullets to start a war and they're everywhere and it's like, this is the way, it's just kids and they've got all this and, and it's in their room and, and nobody knows that, right? You don't see that. You drive by and go, well, that's a nice house. It looks good. Grass is cut. Everything's decent. They're, they're, it looks halfway decent and, and you don't know the mess living inside because that door keeps all of that hidden and God stands at that door but the thing about it is he knows what's on the other side because <laughs> he's in there with you you don't even realize it you're keeping him out he's already in there but he wants you to acknowledge where he's at by that door today I can feel it in the spirit This is what happens in a message. Just, I'm going to give you a behind-the-scenes look at what's happening in the Spirit. When we started today, God was doing this. Two things happen in a situation like this. I've done this now for 20-plus years. I know it. I see it. Here's what happens. You can, you can handle that for a while. Two things happen. My son's a noisemaker. I know this. I was a noisemaker when I was a kid. He's a noisemaker. There comes a point in time you say, son, if you hit that one more time, that will be the last thing you do today. <laughs> and it's just like this. Here's what happens. God just stands there. And two things, two groups of people. There's one group that starts going... La 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 Would you please stop? And there's another group that says, okay, I get it. I get it. I feel it in here. It's heavy. Woo. It's heavy. Some are doing a real good job, but this. It 
See, some of you are like, okay, I got your point. Stop. It's annoying me. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to block it out again for another Sunday to only revisit this again somewhere down the line? Are you finally going to say, okay, doors open. Here I am. You know what? I, I can't say that I purposely kept the door shut. But oh, I wish I would open the door a long time ago. Boy, I know I can hear it, man. People are like, not today. This is the holiday. Please, not today. I didn't, I, I just, I just do what I'm told. Is there anybody in this room today that we just take a moment right now and bow your heads and close your eyes? It's a very private moment. This is not a moment of, if you're so desperate and so curious that you have to look around, then that just proves you need a lot more Jesus than you realize. This is a very private moment. Jesus has arranged today. And I realize why he does these things on weekends like this, because he does his most intimate work when the crowds are the smallest. This is going to be one of the smaller crowds we have all of this month. People out of town, they're traveling, other things going on, sickness, whatever it might be. But you're here. God's here. I did not wake up this morning with this in my heart and spirit. Trust me, I think I'd have been a lot more things I would have rather talked and preached about today than this. But God loves you enough to try once again to knock on that door. You know that sometimes is we let God into the house, but there are some rooms we keep hidden. And then we justify it. Well, he's in. I've let him in. Yeah, you let him in. But what about that closet? What about that bedroom? What about the basement? What about the other areas in your house that you, you, you justify your existence because you got God hanging out in your living room. You got God hanging out in your kitchen. You got God walking the halls and, and you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm okay. God's in here. He's okay. The preacher, you don't know what you're talking about. I do have God in my life. Yeah, you do. But what about those other rooms? What about those rooms? What about that closet you haven't opened in years because you don't even want to see what's in that closet? You put junk in that closet years ago. You shut the door. You locked it and you hid the key because you figured that's where it needs to say. And God says, yeah, but what about that closet? What closet, God? No, no, don't you realize today I've got you. You're in my house. But he says, yeah, but I didn't sign up to die for half of you. I didn't die for a three quarters of you. When I was on that cross, I died for For all of you. God didn't die for a portion of you. He didn't die for a half of you. He didn't die for a quarter of you. Three quarters of you. Eighty percent of you. When he was on that cross in agony of pain. He died for you. That means every part of you. From floor to ceiling. From back to front. From left to right. From basement to attic. Everything in you he died for. 
And you can say, God, you can have this part, or I can have that part, or you can finally say, God, there's some things in me that I don't even know are there, but I know that somewhere deep inside, something's not right, something's missing, and in this moment, God, I need you to reveal the hidden things. Come on, there's some that are already responding. Thank you for those that are responding. But I need somebody else to get out of your seat. This is not a moment. This is going to happen. How do you open the door? Today, I'm going to tell you how you open the door. You get out of your seat and you come down here as a sign. Not to expose yourself, but that's a sign. You're going to open the door. Don't sit there and say, well, God, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to embarrass myself. That's not the sign of a desperate person. That's not the sign of a person who's willing to say, here I am, God. I open up the door of hurt. I open up the door of shame. I open up the door of rejection. I open up the door of loss. I open up the door of what was done to me. I open up the door of what was what I did to others that you've forgotten about and you suppressed. Some of you are dealing with suppressed memories from, from years and years ago that you now think, well, you know, maybe I got past it. No, you didn't get past it, honey. You just buried it so far down in that hole that you've forgotten it's in there. But God says, I see it. Come on, I need some sensitive Holy Ghost people. There is a, there is some major surgery happening in this room right now. There is some major surgery and I need some people that are open and sensitive to the Holy Ghost that can help in the name In the name of Jesus. This is a divine moment set by God Himself in this room. This is a divine moment. A divine moment in the name of Jesus. Come on, I need you. I need some help, folks. If you're not praying for yourself, that's okay. But I need you to be sent. There's some people here. God is opening up some places in their heart. It's not easy. It hurts. It's painful. There's some things you don't want to open up. But I'm telling you today, God is in the miracle working business. God's in the miracle working business. Some of you, you're going back to things that happened to you when you're a child. Things you've forgotten about. Things you thought, well, you know, I'm 30, 40, 50 years old. It can't be a big deal. It's a big deal to God. It's a big deal to God. Oh, come on. Some of you have been asking for years. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I, I can't figure out what's wrong with me. And God says, you know what? Let me help you. You've been seeing the world as black and white for years, but there's a world of color. There's a world of color. If you let God today heal you, you can see color. Oh! Oh!
Jesus, miracle worker, miracle worker, miracle worker. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, 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 in the name of Jesus. Oh, I feel some doors opening. I feel some doors opening. Oh, there's some doors that the hinges were rusty. The dead boat had been open for years, but today somebody said, Here I am, Jesus. Here I am. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am Lord. Here I am. Here I am Lord. Here I am. Here I am. praying for yourself or someone you just sing this with me here i am 
sing this one more time as a prayer to him. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Here I am Lord, here I am, let your spirit move through me, here I am, come on just one more time as a prayer, here I am. Lord, here I am, here I am, Lord, here I am, here I am, Lord, here I am. Let your spirit move through me. Here I am. Would you just very softly and quietly just lift your hands and tell Jesus how much you love him and give him thanks in this place today for he is so kind, so loving, so gentle. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you today for your healing power. Thank you for your restoring power. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Can I encourage us today? I know the tendency today, I know there's a lot of, there's some moving parts in small group today with holiday, some leaders out of town. And let me just challenge you this today. I know it would be easy at small group to just sort of kind of get in a fellowship, giggle, happy time. But I would be very cautious that we don't miss out an opportunity for God to use that setting to take us even deeper 
today. Be sensitive and be open to the Holy Ghost today. Leaders, but not just leaders, everyone today that when you attend your small group that you would be open to the moving of Jesus because there are some things he might be able to do there he couldn't even do here. So let's go today and let's continue to see God work. Amen.